Hello, welcome to Greenbelt Church Online. My name is Ron, and I serve with the elders team. This winter, we've been following a message series entitled King for All. It's based on the book of Luke. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's in the last quarter of the Bible that was written since Jesus was here on the planet. Today, we want to continue in chapter 15. And in this chapter, Jesus tells three stories. Jesus doesn't just tell these stories to entertain the crowd that's with them. He's using everyday activities in these stories to illustrate life truths. And we call that kind of teaching story a parable or an allegory. Which brings us right to our big idea today. God offers people relationship with him. But people tend to default towards rebellion, ignoring God, or trying to stuff God into a little box of religious rituals. But our purpose today is to celebrate the remarkable reality that God's love is greater than our rebellion or our little uh, religious routines. The background context for why Jesus tells these three stories uh, is in the first three verses of chapter 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, introducing the first of the three parables. So we see that Jesus has a diverse audience with him. First of all, the tax collectors... These were uh, local people throughout the Roman Empire who collected taxes on behalf of the usually or often hated central government in Rome. In addition to that, some of the tax collectors collected extra money beyond what the government required, and they pocketed the difference. So they were um, unpatriotic by definition in many people's eyes. And in addition to that, some of them were criminally greedy. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law in the crowd were the religious elite. They studied the Old Testament diligently, and that's the first three quarters of your Bible that was written before Jesus came to the earth. They memorized the first five books written by Moses, about a centimeter thick in this Bible, called the Torah. And in addition to that, they had developed a bunch of um, man-made laws and regulations which they memorized. And out of all of that, they had developed 613 rules and regulations to govern just about every aspect of daily life. How you ate, how you slept, how you dressed, uh, just about everything. All of that trying to make themselves ceremonially clean uh, in God's eyes. And they despised the majority of people who had no hope of keeping most of those rules. In fact, the word Pharisee comes from the uh, Hebrew uh, via the ancient Greek meaning separated. They didn't want to associate with his people or even touch their clothing uh, for fear of being contaminated and losing their cleanliness. So they had a selfish religious expression 
uh, a focus on uh, trying to make themselves uh, look good in God's eyes, but no concern for all the people that they thought were in worse spiritual condition. So there they were grumbling because Jesus would even let these other people listen uh, to these stories. Jesus told three stories in this chapter. We're only going to look at the third one, starting in verse 11 of chapter 15. Jesus continued. That's from the second story that we skipped over. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
We often uh, give a label to this story and call it the prodigal son. And if you look in the dictionary, you'll find uh, meanings for that, such as wasteful, extravagant, or dissipated. Other labels you will hear for this, you will hear for this story are the uh, loving father, or the lost son, or the two lost sons. Charles Dickens, the prolific uh, 19th century author of novels and short stories, calls this the most beautiful story in all of literature. But Jesus wasn't just telling this to entertain the crowd. He is teaching life truths. So let's see what we can learn about life from the three main characters. First, the younger brother. Everything he does is countercultural, and he has two requests. The first one is, Father, give me. Give me my inheritance. That's like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Or, Father, I want your resources, but I don't want you. So the father subdivides the family farm and gives one-third of it to the younger son. In that culture, the older son would get a double portion of the inheritance, so two-thirds stayed in the family. The younger son sells it. Again, abnormal. Every step of the way, uh, his actions are abnormal. Normally, in that culture, a land stayed in a family for uh, generations and even centuries. And in a very real sense, which is hard for us to um, relate to in an urban culture, not only did the land belong to the family, but the family belonged to the land. So then uh, he gathers his stuff together and he goes far away where nobody knows him, and he blows everything on wild living. Why? Seemingly to uh, impress false friends. And then an economic downturn comes in that country, and he ends up back on the farm. Only now he's on a pig farm, and that's about as low as you can go in the Jewish culture to be looking after pigs. They were considered to be one of the most unclean of animals. And he's underpaid and he's underfed. Are you or I not sometimes our own worst enemies when we make poor life choices and then we suffer the consequences? And isn't it even more frustrating when we can't blame it all on somebody else or on some natural disaster? However, at a certain point in our life, hopefully, hopefully, we realize that all the things we've been chasing just don't measure up. In verse 17, there's a little good news phrase. He came to his senses. Jesus is saying in this story, when we're far away from the Father, we're not in our right senses. We lack life, life perspective. And that brings us to the second request of the younger son. Father, make me. 
Make me like one of your servants. Finally, the younger son is doing something that's not countercultural. This request is fair. He's no longer looking for freebies. It's uh, logical from the family agribusiness perspective. He would make a good uh, servant or hired hand. He already knows the daily routines, you know, when the, when the cows have to be milked or when the sheep have to be brought in near the buildings for protection at night. He knows the seasonal uh, routines. He knows when they were going to have to plant the wheat or pick the dates and so on. And it's even culturally normal. Someone in his position who comes back would not be treated as a member of the family in that culture, but as a servant for life. Interesting, dramatic, isn't it? But what's Jesus want to teach here? So who does the younger son represent in that crowd of people in approximately 30 AD, somewhere in Galilee? The tax collectors and the social misfits and the religious outcasts. But Jesus did not just come to teach one generation. So who does the younger son represent now in uh, 2021? Or how about just a little bit before 2021, when my uh, hair was brown and uh, kind of woolly and bouncy? I was a second-year engineering student at the University of Windsor. Uh, I did not believe in God. In fact, I, I could not even relate to any spiritual dimension whatsoever. I had goals. I was in a hurry to uh, graduate, in a hurry to make lots of money, to uh, get a good job, uh, to have a beautiful wife, uh, some fancy sports cars, and so on. You ever notice how our, our dreams and our choices don't always turn out the way that uh, we uh, expected or hoped for? I was not very satisfied with life as I had it figured out. One night, when a young lady that I was uh, becoming fond of was, had been out with somebody else earlier in the evening, that served as a trigger factor to bring me to a low point, along with all that other stuff I was talking about. And I had what I could now call a Luke chapter 15, verse 17 experience. Remember that little good news phrase? He came to his senses. And so I ended up having a conversation with the God that I didn't believe in. And I can still remember four words from that conversation. Oh, God. Oh, God. Well, that was the start of a journey away from, uh, I guess, what we could call the atheist pig farm. But the prodigal son did not get a chance to finish his second request of, of make me. He was interrupted by the second character in our story, the father. And his behavior is also extremely countercultural. He actually divides that family land up and he gives 
a third of it away before he dies. And when the son comes back, he treats, he runs out there to meet him, forgetting all this patriarchal um, dignity and so on. He treats him as a son rather than as a servant for life. And on top of all that, he celebrates all of that. Instead of greeting him with some sort of master-servant lectures, starting out with, I knew you were going to do something stupid, etc., etc., etc. How ironic, isn't it? The son went far away looking for parties, but the real party was back at home. Kind of makes me wonder if there's two kinds of parties. So who does the father in this story represent in 30 AD? God, the king of the universe. And what do we learn about the God of 30 AD? Well, first of all, the God of 30 AD is the author of choices. The tax collectors had the option whether to cheat or not to cheat their fellow citizens. The God of 30 AD is the God of love love and compassion. No matter what poor life choices or evil that those tax collectors had done, God wants them back. He wants them to... um, admit their mistakes and realize their sin and come back to him and get out of their life of shame. Although some of them were very wealthy because of what they were doing, they also were at the, lo- the bottom of the social strata because, because of their uh, reputation. The God of 30 AD is a God of relationships. He was looking out for that son. He saw him when he was still a long way off. He's looking for sons and daughters, not for servants or reliable slaves. And finally, the God of 30 AD is a God of celebration. In the two stories that Jesus told in this chapter that we skipped over, at the end of each of those stories, Jesus makes an editorial comment. In verse 7 and in verse 10, he says, Heaven and the angels rejoice every time one lost person finds a relationship with God. Can you imagine that? And now who does the Father represent in 2021? Still God. The same God is in 30 AD. That same God, four centuries before that, prompted the prophet Malachi to write in chapter 3, verse 6a, I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. The God of 400 B.C. and the God of 30 A.D. and the God of 2021 is the very same God of love and compassion and forgiveness And that brings us to our third character in the story, the older brother. Unlike the first two characters that we've looked at, his behavior is not countercultural. He does the expected thing. 
we see from his actions, the first we see him, he's out in the field working. He's, he's reliable. Uh, he has a good work ethic. He seems to be self-disciplined, uh, a model, a dutiful son. But what's going on on the inside? We have to go back and look at verse 29 where he's having that conversation with his father near the end of the story. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Okay, he's feeling overworked and underappreciated. And in fact, he is a resentful, reliable slave, not a loving son. How sad. And he has expectations of how other people should behave. So when the younger son returns, after blowing a third of the family fortune, he does the expected thing. He's angry, he's hypercritical, and he actually won't even refer to him as his brother. He refers to him as this son of yours. And can't you just see the finger going here now? He's critical of the father, too. This son of yours. The father begs him, to come in and join the party. You notice how the father is always willing to humble himself, to even embarrass himself in order to show love. So as this story unfolds, we see the heart of the younger son and of the father softening, but the heart of the older brother is hardening. So who does the older brother represent in real time, in 30 A.D., somewhere in Galilee, in that crowd? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the religious uh, uh, leaders. The ones who were complaining that Jesus would even allow the other ones to listen, listen to him and that he ate with them from time to time. You know, eating is one of the higher forms of social interaction in their culture and still in our own today. But Jesus was saying to these religious leaders, you guys have lost perspective. You toil day after day, week after week, year after year, doing all these little 613 rituals and so on. But you have no concern for the people. Jesus was saying to these guys, God is not eagerly awaiting in 30 AD to hand out a gold medal to the first proud ceremonially clean runner who crosses the finish line of the 613 law marathon. No. Jesus was saying that God and the rest of heaven were eagerly awaiting in 30 AD to have another party in heaven every time one lost person finds a relationship with Father God. Can you imagine you know, I would like to think that there's been a lot of parties in heaven from 30 A.D. to 2021. Jesus leaves this story open-ended. We don't know 
if the older brother got over his hissy fit and actually went into the party. But Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, you guys still have a chance. You still have an opportunity to repent and to respond. So who does the older brother represent now in real life in 2021? Well, you know, as I was preparing this message, I started to ask myself, could I be an older brother type person? You know, I pray twice a day now uh, for what for me is a lengthy period of time while I'm doing these upper body stretches, my back and my uh, uh, neck, and uh, 10 minutes each. Those prayers tend to be very repetitive. It's been good for my prayer time. Uh, I'm not sure sure how much it's done for my posture. Anyway, I read the Bible every day on the far side of my cereal bowl. I've even memorized a few verses of Scripture, not a centimeter thick of the Bible like the Pharisees did. I attend worship weekly like we're doing right now on Greenbelt Church Online. I give some of my resources to what I believe is God's work. My wife even went on a pilgrimage to London, England, to Holy Trinity Brompton Church. That's where they started the Alpha program. And if you don't know what that's about, you owe it to yourself to check it out. Actually, she was there on a stopover, but she took advantage of it. Now, which of those activities demonstrate that I am not an older brother type person? None. None of them. I could do all of those things with no love for God and no concern for anybody else. So where are you or where am I in this story today? You know, if we're just going through church motions, physically and even mentally, but we're flatlined emotionally, flatlined spiritually. The real God knows that. The important question is, do you or do I realize that we're older brother lost? Or perhaps more obviously, you identify with the younger son. Do the things you've been chasing not measure up to your expectations? Who or what is number one in your life today? Or do you even know? And how's that working for you? Which brings us right back to our big idea. God offers people relationship with him. People tend to default to ignoring God, rebellion, or to trying to stuff God into a little box of religious rituals, like the older brother. But our purpose today is to celebrate the remarkable reality that God's love is greater than our rebellions or our religious rituals. In this story, Jesus is saying for all of us, 
no matter who or what that we think or we thought is more important than our relationship with God. Let me say that again. No matter who or what that we think or we thought is more important than our relationship with God. The Father God is always waiting, always watching, always eagerly, always actively for people like younger brother types or older brother types to turn to him. To become his spiritual children. To find our spiritual home. We do not have to travel to a far city or to a special building to find God. Wherever we are on this planet, or even if we're in the space station, God is always near. So if you're tired of doing life without the real God, tired of chasing people and things that let you down, or tired of meaningless religious rituals, then don't be shy. Please join me in this prayer together, or if necessary, you need to think about it some more, do it on your own time later. Dear Father God, I have wronged you, and I have probably wronged other people as well. Please forgive me. Jesus, thank you for volunteering to die on the cross to pay for my sins. God, please send your spirit to live inside of me, to guide me through this life, to help me to change into the kind of person that you want me to be. Dear Father God, it's so good to be home. Amen. And now for the rest of us, those of us who are already following Jesus, like the disciples that were in that crowd, although they weren't mentioned in the first three verses, but if they weren't there, we wouldn't have had this book to read. There's something that we can learn from the younger son as well. Remember those two requests, Father, give me and Father, make me. How many times do your prayers or my prayers major in Father, give me, give me, give me, rather than Father, make me, make me, make me. Dear Father God, make each one of us more like Jesus by your spirit working inside us one day at a time. Dear Father God, Make each one of us more helpful to those who are still lost, who are still spiritually homeless. Dear Father God, make each one of us more encouraging to our brothers and sisters in Jesus. Amen. So you see that this story has universal application to all generations and to all people in all uh, spiritual conditions. But Jesus is not just teacher for all. He's king for all.